Heavenly Father, we know from your word that your faithfulness continues through all generations. O Lord, we pray that you would show that is true this morning as we in this generation, as we seek to know you. O Lord, we pray that we would see your faithfulness this morning in continuing to proclaim your truths to your people and that you may be shaping us once again by your faithfulness to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ and to draw closer to him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we return again to our series in John's Gospel, and we've come now to John chapter 13. Uh, We've been looking at Jesus and the miracles that he's been doing, the signs, as John calls them, uh, John the Apostle calls them. Uh, He has been doing these marvellous miracles, but we've been seeing that although many people are coming to trust in Jesus that some people are not, particularly the Jewish leaders. We've seen that even in the face of a man being cured of his blindness, in the face of Lazarus being raised from the dead, that they still continue in their unbelief. And that was what we looked at last time at the end of John chapter 12, uh, the hardness of hearts and the blindness of people's eyes, that they have been hardened and that they have been blinded to the truth of who Jesus is, or otherwise they would trust in him, they would believe in him. And so now we come, we begin the close of Jesus' ministry where he starts to have this Passover meal with his disciples on the night before he was to be crucified. And so we see in verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, that it's the time for the Passover feast. And Jesus knows that this marks the time for him to leave this world. We read that in verse 1, it's the time of the Passover feast. Uh, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And now at this time, as he knows that he's going to the Father, instead of running away, knowing that he is about to die if he continues to be there in Jerusalem, we see instead that he shows his love to the disciples. We see that in verse 1 as well. After we are told that he knows he's going to leave this world and go to the Father, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, that's his disciples, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He's going to show them the full extent of his love. And how does he do that? Well, we read in verse 2. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What does he do then? So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Instead of running away from the task that is before him of going to the cross, Jesus instead takes this opportunity at this meal to wash the disciples' feet. Now, why would he wash their feet? Well, because they're dirty in one sense. There's many reasons why I think Jesus washed the disciples' feet here, but we've got to face the truth that their feet were dirty. At that time, they didn't have sealed roads, uh, and the streets were dirty. They had animals uh, doing most of the work of, of pulling things through. They didn't have automobiles. They didn't have cars. Uh, but So then, of course, the animals tramping through the streets would dirty it, of course, with their own dung. And then the disciples uh, are walking around in this probably in sandals. They definitely didn't have gumboots like we enjoy today. If you go through a muddy street, you can put on your gumboots and you can slosh through and have your feet remain fairly clean within those gumboots. 
But the disciples didn't have that luxury. And so they're walking around these filthy streets with sandals on. And so their feet are very dirty. So it was a custom for Jews when you entered into a house that you would wash your feet, particularly before having a meal. And usually it would be a servant to do this. And so Jesus does it because obviously there's not a servant who is willing to do it or a servant available. And even then, uh, it's, it's likely that there wasn't a servant available because uh, most servants saw it beneath their dignity to wash uh, someone's feet. And it was even made a law for some Jews that only a Gentile could be expected to wash a Jew's feet, that you couldn't get another Jew to wash another Jew's feet, uh, that it had to be a Gentile slave that you would use for the washing of feet. And so obviously there's no slave to do the menial task here, and none of the disciples are obviously jumping to the opportunity to serve one another either. They're not willing to wash the feet, and so Jesus is the one who rises and is willing to wash their feet. Now, why would he do this? He is their master, he is their rabbi, he is the Christ that they know is going to save uh, the Jewish nation. They believe that he is the Messiah. Why would Jesus then get up and do this? Well, the hint was given to us in verse 1. The last sentence of verse 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He wants to show them how much he loves the disciple. He wants to show them the full extent of his love. Or the purpose, the, the Greek word that's translated full extent there, can be goal, can be an end, a purpose. Uh, but he wants to show them that he's going to love them to the end and how far his love goes. How far does his love go? Well, it goes as far as washing mud and filth from his disciples' feet. It shows that he really, really does love his disciples if he's wish- willing to condescend and wash their feet considering he is their master and teacher and they are simply his disciples. But also, the foot washing symbolizes something that Jesus wants to get across as well. It's not just showing his love in washing their physical feet. He wants to use this as an opportunity to show the extent of his love in washing their sins away. We see that something greater is going on by the dialogue that Jesus has with Simon Peter. Look with me at verse 6. So he started to wash the disciples' feet, and then it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He is obviously stunned. He knows the cultural norms better than we do. He's surprised that Jesus would wash his feet. And what does Jesus say in reply? Jesus replied, verse 7, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. There's something greater going on here. And what is that? Well, we see Peter draws it out of the Lord Jesus. No, said Peter in verse 8, you shall never, he's very emphatic, never ever wash my feet. It's too good for you. You can't be washing my feet. And what does Jesus answer in verse 8? Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. It's a surprising statement. What does that mean that he has no part with Jesus? It means that he doesn't have fellowship with Jesus. He can't belong to Jesus. He can't be one of Jesus' disciples. He can't continue to enjoy being with the Lord Jesus Christ, which seems extraordinary. How can you not washing my feet lead to no part with you? Obviously something greater is going on here. And it's interesting, he doesn't talk about washing feet in verse 8, the Lord Jesus. He says, unless I wash you. He's wanting to bring out some deeper lesson from this washing of the feet. And we see that as we continue on with the dialogue with Peter. 
Verse 9, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter is excited to get washed now that he understands that being washed by Jesus is how you have a part with Jesus. And he doesn't want to be excluded from Jesus. So he wants to be washed. And then Jesus points again to there's some deeper symbol going on. Verse 10, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean. What is Jesus doing here? He's saying that this is an illustration. Me washing your feet is an illustration of the importance of me washing away your sins so that you are clean. That is what he's talking about in verse 10 and 11. He talks about the fact that they are clean. How are they clean? Haven't they got dirty feet? Yes, they have dirty feet, but they are clean morally because of their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, because they have put their faith in him and have believed that he has taken away their sins. And we know that it's about moral purity because the fact of Judas, he's probably had a bath like the rest of the disciples. He's, he's bathed his physical body, but he has not had his sins washed away. Not every one of them was clean because he knew that G, uh, Judas was not clean. Judas still had his sins bearing down upon him. They had not been washed away. So we see that this foot washing that Jesus does here, he does it for a number of reasons. He wants to show his love in the fact that he is willing to wash someone's dirty feet. Far greater love than most of us have for one another. Whether we would be willing to wash one another's feet is a question for us to ask ourselves. He has this love for the disciples in willing to wash and being willing to wash away the filth, but also he wants to show what he has done for them, what he will do for them at the cross in taking away their sins, in washing their sins away, which is even a greater example of his love. It says that he's to show them the full extent of his love there in verse 1. And the full extent of his love is seen particularly, not in foot washing, but at the cross. At the cross, that is an even more low task for Jesus to perform. We think it's low for him to wash someone's feet. It's even greater task for him. It requires even more love to go to the cross and bear the moral filth of his disciples, to have their sins put upon him and to then, then make satisfaction for them as the wrath of God is poured out upon him for his disciples. And so this foot washing incident, it has a number of levels within it as to why Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And one of the things that we cannot possibly miss is the symbol there of him washing away the sins of his disciples at the cross. So the question is, what about you? Do you say something like Peter? You, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And then when he says, yes, I want to wash your feet, you say, no, you shall never wash my feet, as he says in verse 8. I mean, we can admire Peter here because he's really... Why is he saying this? Because he has such a high view of Christ and such a low view of himself. If he thinks he's Christ's equal or above Christ, then of course Jesus should wash his feet. But he has such a high view of Christ that he then says, no, you can't wash my feet. Is that you this morning? You have such a high view of the Lord Jesus Christ that you say, no, you cannot wash away my sins. It is too low for you for who you are. After all, we consider who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. And we see 
a little taste of who he is, even within this passage. Look with me at verse 3. Who is Jesus? Verse 3 tells us Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Who is Jesus? He's the man who has all things under his power. He is the most powerful person in the entire universe. He is the one who has come from God. He is the one who is returning to God. Can we have a more exalted view of the Lord Jesus? Peter understands something of this. We understand who Jesus is as the Son of God and his great power and the fact that he has that relationship with the Father that we can only dream of having. He has great power. He is so exalted. And so then do we turn around and say, there's no way you, who has all power, who has come from God and will go to God, can possibly wash my feet, can possibly bear my sins. How can you go to the cross and bear my sins? We are like people who have crawled through a filthy, overflowing sewer pipe. We have gone down into moral filth. All mankind have done that in their sin. They've crawled through the sewer. And then we come out of that sewer and we are aware of the moral filth that is upon us. And we try to resolve it. We try to get rid of the stench that is on our body and the filth that is on there. We can try different taps. We turn on different taps, but there's no water coming out that will cleanse it away. If anything, the the taps that we turn on, whether they be the idols of this world, different solutions to our sins that are proposed, they just cover us in more filth. More sewage comes pouring out upon us as we try to resolve the filth that is upon us because of our sins and we can't get rid of it we try to wipe it off we can't get rid of our sins that is what we are like as fallen human beings but then what happens christ comes along the king of kings and lord of lords in his majesty he comes in his chariot his golden chariot and sees us there at the side of the road in our moral filth and says i want you to come and have a meal with me I want you to eat with me. I want you to have a part with me. I want you to have fellowship with me. And we're ashamed. We don't deserve to go up in that golden chariot with him and go and have a meal with him. We're concerned about all the sin that is upon us, that clings to us, that filth that we've, uh, we've received as we've crawled through the sewer of this life. And we're ashamed, like the Apostle Peter was ashamed, to have Jesus wash his feet. We're not fit for a meal with him. We're not fit to eat with the King of Kings. But then Christ offers to wipe us down. We stand there covered in sewage and he offers to wipe us down and to cleanse us. And what do we say? No way. How embarrassing. How embarrassing to have you in all your glory be the one that tries to get the filth off of us. But what's the alternative? What's the alternative? If we stay in our sins... If we don't allow Jesus to wash us of our sins, to cleanse us from our sins, what's the alternative? Well, we continue in our sins and Jesus goes away. What did he say in verse 8? Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus asks us to come and have a meal with him. But if we stay in our sins and say, no, I can't come with you and I can't have you wipe me down because you are too glorious, then we stay in our sins and he will go. We have no part with him. We can have no fellowship with him. We cannot eat with him back in his heavenly palace. And so what do we do? We beg Christ to condescend 
from his chariot, from his status, come and wash me, cleanse me from the filth that is on me, the stench that is around me constantly because of my sin. We beg him to wash us. And when Jesus washes us, we indeed do start to smell different. We start to smell heavenly. He can cleanse us. And thankfully, Jesus himself does not stay unclean as he wipes us down. He is able to clean himself as well as the Son of God. And so we get up in his chariot once we've accepted his offer of cleansing us and going to have a meal with him. We can get up in his chariot and go and dine with him, not just for one day, but for all of eternity. So the question for everyone in this room this morning is, are you ready to have a humiliated Messiah as well as a majestic and conquering Messiah? If you look at a religion like Islam, it's quite happy to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. They're quite happy to acknowledge Isa. They're quite happy to acknowledge him as a prophet. They know of an exalted Jesus, but they don't know of a humiliated Jesus. It's appalling to them to have the Messiah be someone who is humiliated enough to bear the sins of sinful human beings. They cannot grasp that idea. Are you ready to grasp that idea this morning? That you have a humiliated Messiah. That he went the lowest of lows. That no one has ever been so low in this world as Jesus Christ. Yes, you may have your sins bearing down upon you, but you haven't got the sins of others bearing down upon you as Jesus had at the cross, where he was there covered in the moral filth of so many people at the cross. He was humiliated in a shameful way that has never been before in history and has never occurred again. Are you ready to have such a humiliated person be your king? Are you ready to have him wash your sins away as well as the rest of his disciples? Now, how do you get that? How do you have Jesus wash your sins away? Well, it's by repenting of your sins, by confessing your sins, by acknowledging that you're a sinner and asking for mercy from God, saying sorry to Jesus Christ for what you have done. And that may sound easy to some of you in this room, but it is a very difficult thing. Confession of sin is something we love to resist. Why do we love to resist confession of sin? It's because we don't like to think about the filth that is upon us. We don't like to think of each individual sins and say, yes, I did do that. There's resistance within us. There's a pride there that does not want to acknowledge sin. We do not want the cleansing because we do not want to acknowledge the sin. And there's another reason why we resist sin is because we don't want to bring it to someone who is altogether holy, holy, holy. You don't bring out your dirty laundry to the best of people, to guests. You're happy for maybe your family in your home to see your dirty laundry, but you don't bring it out for your guests to see, let alone if the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is coming into your home. You don't have your dirty laundry there on the couch waiting to go to the washing machine when you get a chance. And that's how we are with our sins. We don't want to confess them because we don't want to acknowledge that we're dirty and we don't want to acknowledge them to the greatest of all people, the person who has never sinned himself. But if we consider the alternative, remember what the alternative is. You can have no part with Jesus if you do not acknowledge your sins, if you do not confess your sins, if you do not confess your sins and repent of your sins to Jesus. I encourage you this morning, confess your sins to Jesus Christ. Say sorry for what you've done. Reflect on how dirty you are and then bring 
your filth to the Lord Jesus Christ for washing. And if you do that, then you can enjoy fellowship with him. You can know Jesus Christ. You can dine with him now and for all eternity. If you've never confessed your sins, you're not a Christian. You may claim to be a Christian, but you're not. I've had people say that to me. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I've never sinned. Well, I'm sorry. You're not a Christian according to the Bible's standard, according to God's standard. You may be a Christian according to your standard, but not according to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never confessed your sins, you're not a Christian. And so I encourage you this morning, if you have never confessed your sins, confess them now. And you will dine with Jesus and be able to echo the words that we read before from Isaiah chapter 1. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you confess your sins, you can say, yes, my sins were like scarlet, but now they're white as snow. They were red as crimson, but now they are like wool. So there's one thing that Jesus is trying to teach as he's there washing the disciples' feet. He's showing the full extent of his love in going to the cross to wash away sins. But there's another reason why Jesus washes the disciples' feet here. And I think it's specifically for Christians. And it comes out later in the passage. What is it? Well, the washing of feet symbolises the ongoing need of confession of sin and cleansing of sin. And we see this in the Bible. Once you become a Christian, it's not the only time you confess your sin, repent of your sin and say sorry to God. No, you see that the Bible encourages us to confess our sin again and again and again. Where do we see that clearly? Well, it's in the Lord's Prayer that everybody loves who claims to be a Christian. They love to spout off the Lord's Prayer. It's one of the things that we memorise. And what does it say? Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. People rattle it off, but they don't really think about what's been going on there. It's teaching us, the Lord Jesus was teaching us with that prayer, that there's an ongoing confession of sin. And Jesus uses foot washing to teach the regular confession of sin too. We don't just see it in the Lord's Prayer and in other places in Scripture. We see it here as well. And we see it particularly when he has this dialogue with Peter. What does he say in verse 10, but I'll, I'll read from verse uh, 8 because, I uh, know, from verse 9. After Jesus has said, you shall have no part of me with me if you are not washed by me. Verse 9, we re- then read, Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Wash all of me, he's saying. And what does Jesus reply with in verse 10? Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. You are clean, though not every one of you. He is saying here that, yes, as a believer in me, as someone who has acknowledged their sin, you are clean. And that's true for the Christian. Yes, we sin day by day, but we are clean. We are justified. We are sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a one-off event, justification. Sanctification, definitive sanctification. You are holy. You are made holy when you become a Christian. But we need to wash our feet regularly. Why do we need to wash our feet regularly? Why do we need to confess our sin? Because I think that's what has been said to us here. Your whole body is clean, but you still need to wash your feet, which means you still need to confess your sin. Why? Because you continue to sin daily. So you should be confessing and repenting and washing of your sin daily. Why is that? Because every day we slosh around 
in the sewer again of the world. We continue to get sin upon us. Yes, our whole body is clean, but as we walk around in the world, we then have sin again upon us because of our sinful nature, because of the temptations of Satan, because of the world. We walk about in this world and we continue to sin. And so therefore, we need to wash our feet. Not our whole body. We're cleansed. We're justified. We're sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've got dirty feet because of the way that we've been walking around in the world. We're like a child who's had a bath in the evening. If any of you have kids, you know of this. They had a bath in the evening, and then what do they do? They have to go out and do something outside and traipse through the mud. And what happens when they come back in? You say, oh, look at your feet. You've just had your bath. Look at your feet. Now, what do you do? Do you tell them to get back in the bath and wash their whole bodies again? No, their face is clean, well, generally speaking. Uh, the rest of their body is clean, but it's just their feet that's a problem. And if you're parents, you're probably like me, you know of the times where you've had toddlers up in the, uh, the bathroom sink, not the bath, but you just pop them up on the sink there and put their feet in, uh, put the plug in the, the sink. You don't want to run a whole other bath again. You just fill up the sink there, pop their feet in, wash their feet, and then they're ready to go to bed. They don't need another bath. And that's the same for us as Christians. We don't need another bath. Peter doesn't need his face and his hands washed. He just needs his feet washed because he's been sloshing about in the dirty streets. And that's us as Christians. We've been sloshing about in the dirty sewerage of this world and we need to wash our feet again. So when do you do that? When do you confess your sin? Well, there's many times that we should be confessing our sin as Christians. When we become conscious of sin, immediately after it, we should be confessing our sin. When you've sinned and you realise, oh, that was wrong, that was a lie... You then come to the Lord in confession of sin. And so we do what Top Lady's hymn, uh, Rock of Ages, says in one of the lines. It says, Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. We have this desire, as soon as we become conscious of the sin, to flee to the fountain and be washed by Jesus. So after we've sinned, we, that's a good time for confession. Uh, when we become conscious of sin... As we're reading the Scriptures, as you're reading the law of God, you might be reading the Sermon on the Mount... And you become conscious that something is sinful that you've done in the past and you never knew it was actually wrong. Or you're reading the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament and you think, oh, I didn't know that was actually wrong, that God had a problem with that. And so what do you do when you have those moments? You say, I'm sorry, Lord. You confess your sin. You realise you've got dirty feet and you need to have them cleansed. Or it may be that you become conscious of sin as the Spirit causes you to remember a particular sin from the past. You're there, you're not really thinking about much, and suddenly it dawns on you something that you did, maybe decades ago, and you've never asked the Lord for forgiveness of that. That's a wonderful time to then come to the Lord and ask, please wash my feet. I often have this happen, uh, particularly when I'm having a shower. Showers are good times for thinking because there's no other stimuli although I do play some things in the background uh, while I'm in the shower to try and stimulate my mind somewhat. But it's interesting how you can think about things and you can recall things from decades ago that you did to someone. Maybe it was at university, maybe at school, and you think, oh, that was an awful thing to do. And so often in the shower I'm saying, oh, mercy, Lord, oh, mercy, grace, grace, extend your grace to me. I'm so sorry for doing that. And I hope they've forgotten what I did to them. When those moments come, Confess your sin. Wash your feet. And maybe you should be setting aside a time to 
consciously confess your sins, specifically time for confession. I've tried to do this of late, that I actually spend some time where I'm not allowed to pray any prayers of adoration, any prayers of thanksgiving, any prayers of supplication. It's only confession that I'm allowed to say during that period. And I have that time set aside and I I go through in my head my different sins that I've committed in the last day, in the last week, and I confess them to the Lord. I ask for the washing of my feet. And to stimulate me, I've actually started a list of different adjectives, different nouns to describe my sin, to help me to do that. And so I started this little Excel spreadsheet putting on the common things like sin, trespasses, transgression, debts, all these common ways that we describe sin, then specific sins. And I started brainstorming this, and eventually I started saying, well, I should be going to the vice list in the scripture, and I'll add those into adultery, murder, disobedience to parents, these kinds of things. And so then I, when I'm meditating upon the list, I look at oh, disobedience. I'm sorry, Lord, for all my disobedience. I'm sorry for all the ways that I've murdered people in my mind. And you just go through the list. And then I was like, what I should do is I should start reading the dictionary and going through the dictionary, and that way I'll get a, a comprehensive list of different ways that my sin can be described. And so I've started reading the dictionary. And I started each day, I take two pages of the dictionary and scan it for words that describe my sin. And I'm up to the letter D now, and I'm already over 800. I do it in an Excel spreadsheet. It keeps count there outside. 800 different ways to describe my sin. That's how filthy I am, even as a Christian. And so I go through that list and I confess and I say, I'm sorry for that and that and that and that. And why do I do it? Why do we do this? Why do we confess our sins? As soon as we are conscious of sin, why do we want to confess it? Why do we set aside times to confess our sin? It's because we want to increase our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say? Unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. We want to have increased fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to let anything come between us. It's very hard to have a meal with someone if one of you smells. It may not be a strong smell. It may be mild, but it's a foul smell. And it's very hard to eat. Jill and I once went to a cafe. We were on holidays. And we sat down at the cafe, and then we sniffed. What's that? And once you've smelt it, you can't unsmell it, and it continues to be there. And we eventually we looked at the menus and went, this is bad. What's that smell? And the waitress came and we said, can you smell that? And she, she's got a job to do. She's got people to keep there to make money. And she said, oh, yeah, there's something. She said, I think they're emptying one of the bins out the back in one of the apartments or something nearby that someone had opened up some sort of trap or bin somewhere. And we said to her, look, we're sorry. We can't eat while that smell is there. And we got up and had to leave. We can't eat when there's a potent smell, even if it's just mild, but it's there. If someone's got, and I don't want you to sound crass here, um, but I want you to get the image in your mind. If someone's stepped in some dog droppings outside the home and then comes in and sits down at your table to have a meal with you and you can smell it, do you want to have the meal with them? while that smell is there? That's what it's like when we've got unconfessed sin with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're kind of on the nose with him. We can see this reality in the difficulty that some people have from time to time as Christians with God. They struggle in having meals with Christ. They struggle in coming to church. 
and hearing the preaching of his word. They struggle in reading their Bibles. They struggle in praying to God. They can't get that fellowship that they want with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's many different reasons why that may be the case. But sometimes it's because of unconfessed sin. You're on the nose to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course he won't draw as close to you because you've got that sin there that you are not willing to acknowledge and confess. Whereas if we confess our sin, we see the Lord Jesus draw near to us because there is nothing between us. And so I encourage you, confess your sin. Get specific about your sin. Think of what you did yesterday. Think of what you did this morning and confess it to the Lord Jesus so he draws close to you. And once you confess that sin, it's hard not to enjoy being with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is all the more loving in our eyes as we see the full extent of his love in that he's cleansed us from sins in the past and he continues to cleanse us from sins as we go through this world mucking about in the sewer. He continues to lovingly wash our feet. He's washed our whole bodies and he continues to wash our feet and we love him more. So I find my times of confession of sin, those times that I set aside for specifically for confession, they're very hard, they're very depressing times, but they're also very sweet times afterwards as I know that once more I have the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ and he seems all the more lovely in my eyes and I can enjoy meals with him knowing that there's nothing between us. And I look forward to enjoying a meal with him for all of eternity. So my question for you this morning is, have you confessed your sins and been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you clean from the top of your head to the sole of your foot? Because you have confessed your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and he has washed you. And then if that is true, do you continue to confess your sin, being washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you do it daily? When was the last time you actually said sorry to God for something? It's very easy to ask him for things. very easy to say thank you to him for things. When something good happens, you say thank you, Lord. When was the last time you actually said sorry to God? Was it this morning? Was it yesterday? Was it the week before? Was it the month before that? When was the last time that you confessed your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ? And do you delight in a Messiah who loves you enough to wash your feet, who has shown the full extent of his love by bearing your sins at the cross, sins in the past and sins now as you continue to confess them? And do you enjoy that sweet fellowship that only comes as we acknowledge our sins and draw near to him by faith and repentance. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Lord Jesus, we praise you for loving us and stooping down and bearing our sins in your love. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not confessing our sins as we should. But we thank you that you continue to cleanse us by your blood and the power of your spirit as we confess our sins. Help us to do that to confess our sins day by day, confess our debts, confess our trespasses and transgressions of your law, and to enjoy that sweet communion that only comes when our sins are washed away. And we pray this in your name. Amen.